Hello, everybody. Well, hello there. Guess who? It is us, the two half squads. It's Dave and Jeff. And here we are again, yeah, for another exciting episode of the only podcast on the web that's dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world, and that would be... Advanced Squad Lita. 13 plus years, Dave, we've been doing this, and we're going into, you know... Episode. Next year is going to be 14. Uh, episode, yeah, episode about 306, is this? 307. 307. 306 was Hayes Craze with the miniatures. Oh, yeah, that was a fun episode. And We've had some really good ones lately. I think so. What have you been doing lately, Jeff? Well, we're just coming off of Halloween, and I'm happy to say we did not have any trick-or-treaters because I did not want to give out any of our candy. And but the only candy we bought this year, because it's my favorite, are popcorn balls. Oh, as you talked about on the last show. Yeah. And so I I, I have uh, two bags left, so twenty four popcorn balls left, and they're they're about the size of a of a hand grenade or a small baseball, and uh, so twenty four should last for a week or so. Yeah, we did the same thing as last year. We started giving out more candy as it got near the end of the night, like handfuls and handfuls, and then suddenly panicking like there won't be enough, and then going back to giving one little piece to each kid. It's very. <laughs> the, that's why I didn't give out candy, Dave. It's very stressful. Either have too much or not enough, or it's the wrong selection, or you know the kids <laughs> cheated, or open the door and you never know what you're going to get. But I heard a lot of comments from neighbors and stuff. They said everybody was very respectful this year. Have I think people were just happy to be out having a good time without really worrying nearly as much as we have in the last two Halloweens with COVID. And yeah, well, yeah, a bit of that. That's right. And uh, the weather was good. The weather was amazing for, for Chicago. I mean, normally it's very cold and windy and rainy and sometimes even snowy here. But it was uh, almost 70 degrees, I think, on Halloween. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, very enjoyable. Yeah. Made my lamb chili today for my bear's chili party. That'll be Sunday. I'd love some. Thank you. I will probably get you a little dish and bring it over. Uh, yeah. <laughs> lentil, red lentils, lamb, coriander, heavy on the coriander cumin, and uh, easy on the heat. Yep. Good stuff. Yeah. And it, this is uh, for a chili. Is it a chili? Does everybody bring chili to this? Um, you got to have at least three to four people bring chili or you don't have enough food. And then what, what else do you have? Uh, everyone brings other things, salads, fruit, whatever they got, desserts. Mm -hmm. okay. Good time. Been doing it at least, I don't know, 10, 15 years, maybe. And That's, I think yep. that qualifies for legendary. I think so. When it's regular like that, people expect it. People know it's a good time and people continue to show up and you get to see people you may not see during the year. Yeah. And so at the end of the show, we'll announce Dave's address so that you can join him. Really, mm -hmm. party. We'll post it in the show notes as well. So you can just chili bomb him. Yeah, so that's about it. Not, not much else going on. Other than I did sell a bunch of my, as I mentioned last time, I oh, think. Yeah, the, the sale. Role-playing game stuff over to the auction. We're so lucky that we have got a local brick and mortar game store that runs these auctions. 
And apparently a lot of my stuff sold and though I, I had nothing to do with it. I gave it all to Mike Rizzi. He cataloged it, took it over there, everything. And, uh, but apparently earned about $250, which is then, amazing. Yeah. Did that surprise you or did you expect it? That? Did. Yeah, it really did. It really did. So that, that was good because money is good. Now I can buy some ASL stuff. So you could see my shelves. <laughs> My ASL stuff has been neglected, really. That's why I needed to open more space here, because I need to buy more stuff. Yeah, but if, when you do, you're going to need to buy it from Bounding Fire Productions. Darn right. Why would I go anywhere else? Bounding Fire Productions has everything that the ASL other would want. Well, everything? Everything that's cool. Everything. <laughs> that's good. Well said. There are other companies out there. But Bounding Fire makes some of the best. Yeah, go to BoundingFireProductions.com first mm. when you've got money burning a hole in your pocket. Go there, peruse their wide selection of ASL products, order some stuff, tell them Jeff and Dave sent you, or Dave and Jeff, your preference. And they'll treat you nice. They certainly will. They treat have, good guys. What have you been playing lately, Jeff? Going to that? Um, I actually have not played with because I've been working on a big project for a client that just rolled out this week. So next week, I'll be able to resume my ASL playing. Yeah, but you had played some other things. Well, I've been playing um, Star Wars role-playing game. Played mm -hmm. a little Dungeons and Dragons over at your house. Mm -hmm. Had a very fine time playing uh, Chariots. Yep, Chariot. Cir Cir Circus Cir Maximus. Yeah. Very fun time playing that. That, one, that was excellent. We had about uh, eight people there, I think, in your basement. Yeah. And the chariots were flying. With some sun. Spilky's two boys that Rich brought and Chris Walters brought his son. Yeah. It was a good time. Pizza beforehand. Watch the clip of Ben-Hur. Always good. I never get tired of watching that. I'm always absolutely astonished by that i just can't even imagine how they filmed that without special effects just amazing so good well can you tell what i played or you can't see the title on that one it looks like you've been playing an asl scenario that involves the uh maybe something from the korean scenario pack it is good uh, eye good eye you see the north korean moves first there it yeah. is scenario 206 a line too thinly held, I think it's called, and so it features the Americans hold up on a big long hill. I'll show you the board in a minute. Um, it has a giant hill overlay. There are some armor fighting vehicles. You can see over my shoulder here. Unless you're listening instead of watching, Dave is pointing to his over his delicate shoulder. In which case, it's. Two Pershings and then two of the, oh, what are they? The MG, MCMG, the, the big, like, four machine gun AA oh, half tracks yes. that have a four, 24 firepower IFE equivalency, you know? instead. Yeah, really good. And then lots and lots of North Koreans coming across. Now, this game takes place at night. I'll pull the board up. And try to be very descriptive as we usually are with this. The... Is your, your continuing uh, through the? Are you, are you planning on playing through all of the scenarios from Forgotten War? 
Yes, we are. Idea. And how Thank far you. are we about? I'd say well over half. Okay. So Great. the Korean North Koreans got to clear all the American infantry off this hill or get rid of the four armored fighting vehicles. Now it's night and it's a night range of six. And that confused Dave and I because, and maybe listeners can chime in with some comments in the comment box, but he has two AA guns across a river that's on another board north of this hill, or, well, I'm sitting facing the American defense, so across over there. And we were not figuring out how he's supposed to get a shot at anything at when the night range of six, unless I prep fire or final fire, in which case the Americans then have that, you know, gun flash placed on them, which then they can be seen, but I think they're still treated as a concealed target. So that was tricky. The only North Koreans that can launch up the uh, star shells at night are the two crews that are across the river. So they would have to shoot it up like randomly. And Dave decided that could be just as bad for him if it lights him up instead right. of me. Yeah, right. or, so anyway, and then you're move, he's moving on at night. Um, I don't have the picture of the setup, but it, they're on the board here on this side of the river. And again, some of them set up on the, from my view, the left side of the hill also here. And they have to be like two hexes away from any Americans that set up over there. So that's left flank, my left flank. He's coming up the hill. This range, night range is six. It's kind of like the cloaking. No, the cloaking does to help because you don't lose it unless you're moving in an illuminated location. Right. But anyway, he is making it up the hill and we're into this exciting part of the game where I read online on the uh, scenario archive, people were talking about setting up behind the level two part of the hill to, uh, there's a term for it, what do you call it when you're hiding behind the hill? Cowardly. In behind the hill. The other, the other, I lost one of those 24 firepower half tracks. The other one I still have. Like, did you actually lose it because it's dark? He, no, yeah, he, he got it. I got it recalled. I should not have tried to repair the gun, but oh. it's too tempting. 24 yeah. firepower. Yeah, you don't want to lose that. Yeah, but if you don't fix it, it just sits there. Yeah. You know, for the most part. But if you lose all your vehicles, you can lose the game. So there, that's, there's the rub. But I'll just move this for a second and point. We put the picture of the game on our website. So for those watching on YouTube, you could see the the big two tanks are sitting there with their 90 uh, millimeter guns. And the Dave's right flank came up the hillside. I had two hidden squads over near Hex L3. And L, uh, <laughs> it's a reverse picture, L3 here, this foxhole, and up on the hill by N in row N in the back there. And these two, a hidden squad American, got out and captured his Russian machine gun there. And the half squad were just getting surrounded by all the North Koreans just storming up the hill and, and managed to break all of them with 
everything it took, even for final protective fire. And that's looking good suddenly. So it looked real bad, like there was no way I could win or hold on. And then now it's looking good and we'll finish it Saturday. So his guns, this, the Koreans' guns, way in the back. Way across the river, yeah. Across the river. Did they play a part at all? Only when we I started firing and he did the half, yeah. you know, plus two to hit. To, to hit, but they have an IFE equivalency too, and then it's half. So it's really still hard. So if anyone out there knows what is what are we what are we supposed to be doing differently? I well, haven't. I wonder, what I wonder, put in there, I wonder if they're put in there for historical accuracy for the scenario, but maybe don't play that big a part. Kind of the way, the way those the guns in Tarawa are are always disappointing. Those big Japanese guns at the uh, oh. can't remember which end of the island it was. Huge guns. Yeah. They're kind of going the wrong way, and you don't really get to use them very much at all. But they're there for historical accuracy, and occasionally you get a shot off with them. So I don't know if, if that's a possibility. But yeah, it could be. Yeah. Um, so what's the name of the scenario again? Yeah, we should ask. A line too thinly held, and Dave's OBA went off up here on the hill, and it's very effective. It took out a lot of stuff. But then even moving it, trying to see anybody is a challenge at night mm -hmm. to call it in same thing yeah but, yeah so that's that oh. what i've been playing lately Ta -da. it's time for rules you need the rules to play the game and put your opponents to shame they might seem hard but that's okay we're gonna learn them anyway All right, Jeff, are you ready to continue? I'm ready. I have on my thinking cap. That makes you dangerous. Yes, it does. So look out. I've been um, all day. Okay, it looks like we should pick up that movement rules to finish this up. Oh, I have this as just explanation for now. The prisoners move at the foot rate of their accompanying guard as a combined stack and you move them during the captor's movement phase, kind of like having a support weapon. Prisoners do not route while guarded unless the guard routes, in which case they go with them. Vamoose. You can't, can you see X them? Um, I'm assuming you can, because they're going to go with the guards. Ooh. You would see X too if you had a gun in your back. Yes, well, I would. I would. I just wondered if they were allowed to do that. Um, guards abandon the prisoners only when they choose to. Abandoned prisoners are still subject to um, protections of, well, skip that. Um, abandoned multi-man counter prisoners are represented by an unarmed counter and the rules applicable to that, uh, including inexperienced personnel restrictions. And we'll talk about uh, than how they rearm and stuff in a, in a, near the end of this. So question for you, may guards escort their prisoners off a friendly board edge without the guards being considered eliminated for, for victory conditions? You know how you can't leave the board or you count? Yeah. So what if you want to get your prisoners off? Can they escort the prisoners off without counting as being points, you know, themselves? Taken off the board? Uh, oof, 
There's so many possibilities there. I'm going to say no, though. No, the answer is yes, you can escort them off the edge and okay. not count as you being eliminated. Okay. But I, I don't think you can come back on, though. Yeah, that's so. what I was kind of wondering. I can't imagine that, that you could unless there's some SSR about it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't say in the rule. It just says you can exit, but then you don't count. Uh, you don't have to have a penalty for yourself going off, but then you're not going to have those guards to use on the board if you want. Right. And then rule 20.54, attack effects. Okay. When you fire into a location containing prisoners or unarmed units um, from outside the location, it affects both the guard and the prisoners as if they were combatants in a melee. Are prisoners ever broken? Is there a broken side on a prisoner counter? Oh. Um, I don't want to cheat, but let me look. No, I'm not going to look. Uh, wow. Have you ever seen a broken prisoner counter? Well, we don't do prisoners I a lot. Have. I never have. I, I can't remember what's on the flip side of a prisoner counter. So that answer is no, they, they do not break. Yeah. So what if what? what? So what happens to them? Uh, they will be half spotted. Okay. Do they take a leader loss morale check or task check usually required for the elimination or breaking of a leader that's in the same location? So if you have a prisoner leader counter and a prisoner squad counter and the prisoner leader is killed, does the prisoner counter take a leader loss morale check? Yes. No. Boy, I'm, maybe I've got my hat on backwards. Try that. They don't. Okay. They don't. Is a crapshoot. I because I don't remember the rule, and I was just kind of rolling the dice on that one. You have to because we. I don't know how often have we taken prisoners over twenty years of playing. Just, just doesn't happen that often. We just don't. other other players do. Yeah. Is a prisoner unarmed unit, is a prisoner or an unarmed unit, which, oh, we already did that. They don't break. Uh, and it suffers casualty reduction instead, yes. So is a prisoner subject to pinning uh, since they're with the guard all the time and they move with the guard? If the guard pins, do the prisoners then pin also? Yes. Yes, they do. Um, they can't just run free then at that point. Right. Uh, does a close combat attack against a guard affect its prisoners? Uh, I would say no. That is correct. They you first have to eliminate the guards before anything happens to the prisoners. Then. Yeah. In which case, you would stop attacking, and they would no longer be prisoners. Yes, and then they'll be freed, and we'll we'll get into um how they can rearm themselves. Okay. As we finish up. Uh, prisoners things does uh, uh do prisoners um that are units eliminated by fire from their own side still count double for victory conditions so you know how uh if i capture your your dudes and there i get double victory points if i run them off the board or have them at the end of the game if you can you just shoot into my hex with the prisoners in there trying to kill them so I don't get the to have the points for catching them. Wow. Does that sound fair? You can just kill yeah. your own prisoners? 
No, that doesn't sound fair. No. So they don't let you do that. If you shoot at me and the prisoners, your, your guys, I captured are casually reduced. I still get to count them as double for victim okay. conditions. All right. So none, none of you using that sneaky tactic. Yeah, that would be extra sleazy. That's on the extra sleazy rule. It she, is. Yeah. Yeah. The then the casualty only, reduction portion. Only Sauron would stoop so. Only, only Sauron. That's a good point. The casualty reduction portion of a K slash result that you get when you shoot into a group, it can affect either the guard or the prisoners. Determined. How do we determine random selection? Yep, you go ahead and use the same old process. And similarly, if I get a one KIA and shooting at you and my prisoners that you have, random selection. Selection. So you're you're just as likely, maybe more likely, depending on killing your own guys. Yeah. Okay. Our then our unarmed units. So say let's say you do shoot in there and you manage to get a KIA on the squad. Well that would then break the prisoner, which would then casually reduce into a half squad prisoner, I think. And, and he's sitting there free. Um is the unarmed prisoner an obstacle to movement? Can can the enemy then move through it and can you move through it? Or does the unarmed guys have any kind of ability to stop anybody from moving through their hacks? I would think they do not. Yeah. They do not. They just they gotta do that thing you did with in D D when the orc army was retreating and you were yeah. played in orc. Yeah. Uh, uh, hold on there. Uh don't go that way. Uh, where where are you going? Where are you going in such a hurry? Yeah. Hey, can I have that weapon? Yeah. Are you using that gun? Yeah, are you <laughs> you got a spare? Got a spare bandolero there. Can they be recaptured normally by a close combat attack? As they're just standing there? Yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Just jump right on them and take them back. Take them back. Yeah. Um, can they also be recaptured by any infantry or cavalry unit that enters their location during the movement phase and engages in an immediate attack? Well, let me tell you, the answer is yes. And I can't, well, yeah, okay. I guess if you don't have to stop for them, kind of like an infantry. I don't remember reading anything about this, but that's what the rule says. An overrun? I guess it is like that, right? You yeah, just enter the hex. You enter the hex, you overrun. And then you can do an immediate, it says, close combat attack. Okay. So re and essentially recapture them. Yes. And then keep moving? Well, I don't know. <laughs> No. Oh, here's the here's the rest. Close combat would stop you. It would, yes, you would be considered in melee. So it says yes. if they fail to eliminate or recapture those armed guys, they're considered in melee and then cannot go further. Okay. So you just place a melee counter right on them. To yeah. yeah. Boy, I'm so used to not. Yeah, I've never done that in my life. Jump on some escaped prisoner dudes, but I, it's easy to recapture them, and I guess it should be. Yeah. So may a non-prisoner unit enter a known enemy? That makes no sense. 
A non-prisoner unarmed infantry unit enter a known enemy occupied location. How about may a prisoner enter a known enemy occupied location? No. All right. Then looking to escape. How many movies can you think of with the word escape in the title? Two, three. The Great Escape, Escape from New York, Escape from Alcatraz. Oh, I only had Escape from New York and Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Oh, yes, and Planet of the Apes, of course. That'd you be... wouldn't want to escape. Dave would want to stay. I would stay. I'm stay. Mm -hmm. It's nice here. Although the bomb was blowing up at the end of Beneath Planet of the Apes, and that's why they had to escape. So maybe I would be forced to leave. We should watch the four. We watched Planet of the Apes in the theater. We that did. Five years ago, which means ten years ago, but um, right, <laughs> we should watch the next four movies in that series. Well, Dave Timonen has watched it with me one night when we couldn't game for some reason. Mm. We watched Beneath the Planets. Oh, you did. <laughs> so we're already a movie ahead of you. Okay, I got to get, get caught up. We'll have to do it together. Yeah. So escaping prisoners. So unless a melee exists in your location, as Rich taught us on that other show, you must pass a normal pass check before you can attack your guards. Okay. Right. So when would this attack on the guards occur? In what phase? Um, if the guard's broken. Close combat phase. Yes, that is correct. And then once a melee exists in that location, so the, may the prisoners then attack. Oh, so if someone else jumps in and is combating, so my American squad jumps on your German squad and you have my prisoners in there and we have a melee, can the prisoners now attack without a normal task check? Wow. Because they're all excited because they're buddies. Yes, I'm going to yes. say yes. Yes, they can. Based on, your, based on your little hint there. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for uh -huh. that. I wish but, you'd uh, been in college with me. You could have given me these hints as I took my tests. Trying to help people remember it. That's all. Yeah. And well, you you're, can, you're, you're so right, because this, this kind of stuff doesn't come up that often. And I don't know how you intentionally play a scenario so that you can use prisoner, you know, employ some prisoner rules. That's really hard to do. But I guess we could try more. Let's try not, I guess we could, I'd just be happy if we just decided to not ignore the rules when they come up. And we just end up killing everybody because it's easier. <laughs> yes. Um, and, you know, Dave, Timonen listened to the whole thing with Rich and then the one we did at the first part of this quiz show. Yeah. And he came over last week and was saying, so now let me get this right. So you guys said if you have a broken and a good order and then the other guy has first close combat and kills that guy, then the other guy goes, I said, Dave, I can't remember. I have no idea. It's not. <laughs> so oh, I'm glad you're trying to remember, but yeah. You know, when has that ever happened to us? And he said, well, yeah, never. And we have had prisoners, but usually you're trying to keep your prisoners safe. Yeah. But you got to have a rule for every situation. You do. Yeah. And um, I guess I, I guess when I get overwhelmed by this, I should remember, you don't have to remember every single rule. No. You just need to know the ones. Well, you can look it up when it happens. Yeah. And in the rare 
rare time someone actually jumps into yeah. you in melee and you right. Know, right. You didn't get a chance to. Yeah. So prisoners must eliminate the guard before they can attack any other units in that location, which is logical. Yeah. Um, unless they attack the guard and other units as part of the same close combat. So you can't attack the half squad that's there when a full squad is guarding you. You'd have to do them both together or guard first, next turn, try the half squad. Yeah, okay. Once a melee exists with a guard, may the prisoners attempt to withdraw from melee? No. Yes, you can. Really? You may. You can just say, I'm... So, if, again, if your American jumps on my German squad and I have your American prisoners, they can just say, we're going to try to get out of here. They're going to try to withdraw from melee in a subsequent close combat phase. The prisoners can. Yeah. So they could pull out and then be free. Well, yes, but if you attack guys who are withdrawing from melee, you get a minus two on them. Oh, yes, right, 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 right. So you still got to do all the die rolling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then prisoner close combat attacks, they are sequential, as Rich explained, and that prisoners make all their close combat attacks before they can be attacked in turn by the survivors. And then escape is successful only if there's no enemy units in the same location or by the withdrawal from uh, melee. Yeah. Or if you get the infiltration rule where like the guy rolls boxcars and you roll snakes or something, you know, you get to leave the melee. Right. If that happens, the prisoners can leave too. So question, do prisoners that are eliminated in an escape attempt incur penalties upon the captor? So like, you know, there's penalties for killing prisoners. If they try to escape and they get killed, does the guy who caught them they still have to have those penalties? And did we go over the penalties? What the penalties are? I think they're coming up. Okay. Oh wait, no. We yeah, it's like if you it's like invoking no quarter. Yes. Okay. And, and you can't mop up and things like that. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. So let me think. Um, they tried to escape. Yeah. You killed them. Do you have to take the penalties because they tried to escape? No, I'm going to say no. Yeah. No, it's their fault. You shouldn't have tried that. Not my fault. Um, they would still be counted for victory conditions um, also. Does an escaped prisoner count toward victory conditions? So if you captured me, I escaped, do you still get points for that? Oh. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, yeah. Oh, I thought you said no. You get, a, you get an E <laughs> for effort. Yes. That's all. But yep. no, no victory points. No, to get that, you got to go ahead and try to go catch them again or eliminate them again. Yeah. And then, before we get to the last section on rearming our squads, our freed squads, assuming they got freed, who, what, which nationalities and who will not try to escape unless they're abandoned? So, who are the most obedient prisoners in the nationalities. I was going to call them girly men. But, uh, yes, the girly men. The girly men. Who are the most obedient prisoners? The British. No, I know you won't. I don't think you'll get this through logic. So you're thinking the British because they're nice? Yeah, because they're, uh, you know, they follow the rules even as prisoners of war. And, yeah. You know, uh, boy. 
which nation is maybe unfairly or um, known for surrendering and jokes that people make of World War II? Oh, the Italians. Yes, it's in there. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, I hate to say that, but they will yeah. not attempt escape. They won't. And, okay. And then, and then the other one is Smeagol Gollum. If you catch <laughs> Gollum, Smeagol, he he's very obedient. Yeah. Yes, master. And you know he won't try to escape. And I assume they do that for the. That's probably on. I wonder if that's on the nationalities chart. I don't yeah. actually seen that in there but it must be in there yep. and i think they do that because it's just historically accurate that's just the way i'm know. sure there are cases of some italians doing it yeah, but sure. i would have to imagine that you know again listeners chime in you guys are historians man get get in the comment section and tell us what you know yeah um it'll help everyone out uh the other nationality i'm not sure you'll ever guess because they're not known for surrendering at all but once they do they don't escape Finns. Starts with a J. The Japanese? Yes. Really? Yep. Okay. And if you think about the American occupation of Japan, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, uh, attacks against the occupying forces. Not a lot. Like, it wasn't hard to hold, like, uh, Afghanistan or something, where they're always still attacking you. Um. It's part yeah. of the honor thing about surrendering. Okay. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. And then Axis miners will not escape um, except within their own national borders versus Russians. Oh, okay. Oh, that's that's an interesting little uh, nuance. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah I'm thinking. Yeah. That makes sense. Historically, I guess they had lots of conflicts with the Russians. They don't like them a lot. They figure maybe they're going to massacre them. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. But so then let's look at re. Okay, so now we've escaped from yes. the planet of the apes, and yeah. how do we rearm? Do you want to just give a shot at that out of the blue, or should I ask you well, questions? Uh, I would imagine they have to find. Some abandoned weapons. Yes, there's two ways to do that. Um, one is called scrounging. Let me go to that rule 20.552. Scrounging. So small arms capable of rearming any one infantry counter may be scrounged from any hex occupied by that unit at the end of the movement phase in which it expends all of its movement and then has to roll two dice and come up with what extremely rare number on two dice? Uh, two. Two. Really? Uh, but uh, what needs to be, what are they scrounging? Or weapons, random weapons on a battlefield. Just so it could be on, on an empty hex. Yes. You okay. can just go around the board. I was I was waiting but, for you to say in a hex with an AF with an abandoned AFV or oh, that's the other way. Oh, okay. So now which though okay. which hexes would you not be able to scrounge? Uh, there... I would think like uh road. No, road? no. Because no? they're wet. Oh, swamp or yeah. Uh, yeah. Marsh. Yeah. Marsh. Swamp. Water obstacles, rivers. 
Yes. I found this rifle at the end of the bottom of the river. (laughs) Which you can do right now in the Mississippi River because it's down so low. They're finding all kinds of things, aren't they? So a guy guy found a a, a Civil War belt buckle. Civil War era belt buckle. That's cool. Uh, And of course, they're finding bodies in Lake Tahoe. In the drums, and I shouldn't be laughing about that, so I'm sorry. Wait, sorry, what? You'll have to tell me about that sometime. You didn't hear about the three bodies they found? No. Like, literally, one was in a drum. Waited, you know? Okay, so that's not a fun show. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's go back. So so that makes sense. So any open ground hex, and that Kind of makes sense. You still have to roll a two. You have to expend all your movement factors there for the, for essentially for searching. Yeah, and I think you. And maybe you find something. And then what do you find? So what do you uh, find? You're gonna rearm as, but I think you're better off like running around the board trying to just avoid being caught again than <laughs> spending your whole movement factor. Okay, here's a can I can I stay in the same hex next turn and then search the same hex again? Over and over, trying to roll a two. I would say no. No, that is correct. So you'd have to move to you'd have to move to the next hex, then wait till the next turn, and again spend all of your movement points, right? Yeah, all your unless no. When you move into a hex, you call one, and then you say two, three, four, and then roll. Okay. Okay. But still, it's the whole turn there. Do uh, freed prisoners advance in the advance phase? Um, I don't know, so I'm assuming yes. If we got there, okay. but you mentioned then also scrounging a wreck. Now yeah. that gives you a better chance of success. I don't know what it is, but it's rule D 10.5. It's not in the rule section that we're looking at today. Okay, it's in 10.5. All right, yeah, D section D, not in the prisoner section. Get that up, listeners. Yep, pull, pull your car over. I bet a lot. Boat. I bet a lot of them know off the top of their heads what you have to roll. So then you ask, what happens? Okay, so now I've rolled snake eyes. I've rearmed. Um, is the unarmed unit then replaced with an elite squad or a low-end squad? Yeah, it would be like a um, conscript, maybe? Yes, or green, if you have a green squad. Green. Okay. Yep, the low-end. Green or conscript. Okay. Yep. And that there was something else about rearming, right? Scrounging. Oh yeah, because I went down to so rearming also that. Um, an escaped single man counter is always armed. I don't know why. Hmm. No idea why. But that's rule twenty point five five one. But when you when you get freed, one attacking unarmed friendly unit of equal or smaller size is rearmed for each enemy unit it eliminated or captured in close combat or by other means if no enemy unit is currently in the same location so you eliminate the guards and it was a half squad guard you can rearm half squad of your prisoners immediately yeah yeah okay um yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you can just change it. You don't have to go scrounging around the ground looking for the weapons that they had. Right. So then 
And, and the last thing here, an unarmed unit in the same location with an armed enemy unit that surrenders to a friendly armed unit can be immediately rearmed as per the preceding sentence. Okay. Now that was complicated. I rewrote that in Dave language. Would you like to hear it in Dave language? I think I would. That rule states that if you're in the hex with enemy dudes and those enemy dudes surrender to your buds, then you can pick up their weapons. Yeah. Does that make more sense? That makes more sense. <laughs> then an unarmed unit in the same location with an armed enemy unit that surrenders to a friendly armed unit can be even... Yeah. Your, your buds help you out, kill the dudes, you get the dude's stuff. And then you're just you're just rearmed. You don't have to it's not like non-qualified use. Nope. You're you're a greener conscript squad. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Ta-da! You're free. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And you're angry. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and you're gonna want to take revenge. Yeah, but you're greener conscript, so it's not gonna be too impressive. Revenge. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, like your face. <laughs> so there you go. That finishes. Wow. Four-part prisoner. That's a lot. And I'll bet there's stuff in there they didn't cover that somebody else's. No, they covered it all. You think it, uh, they covered oh. every, everything right. you'd want to know about prisoners. We'd have to go to the Q&A. Yeah, right. Oh, speaking of, I know it's not time for letters, but here's here's a comment that just came in that I would like to throw out to the listeners. And it is from, was a comment on the YouTube from Matt Shostak. Oh, yeah. Hi, Matt. Saying, yeah, we interviewed him. We should do it again. Yeah. Matt, send us an email. Uh, regarding surrendering stack, he seems to recall that we used to have a contradictory Q&A on the question. One saying you surrender as a stack, and the other Q&A said that you surrender one at a time. And he's asking everybody, is he remembering wrong or correct? I don't remember that particular contradictory yeah. Q&A. So yeah. if anyone does, chime in. Yeah, we'd like to know. I would, I'd like to know about that, too. It sounds familiar. Curious minds like to know. Yes, we do. We want to know it all. Hey, Dave, guess what time it is? What time well, is it, Jeff? Well, and I kind of gives it away when I say what time is it, because what time could it possibly be when I say what time is it? It's time for rules What's in the box. Oh, not rules. We just did rules. So it is time for what's in the box. What is in the box, in Jeff? The box. Well, today we have something very it's a very lightweight box in fact it only weighs a few electrons but it's uh very heavy internally it's a quantum mechanics thing and this is dispatches from the bunker dispatch number 54 wow 54 issues of this very excellent little magazine newsletter it's it's more than a it's more than both because it's a very nice combination that Vic Provost has been putting out 54. He puts it out twice a year now um, in March and September. And I don't know where the early, did he do it more often earlier? I, I'd have to go back and see. Yeah, I don't remember. Previous issues. So this is uh, published by Vic and um, 
been doing this for a long time. And this is something I highly recommend for people that get lonely. I always like getting these dispatches from the bunker because it's kind of, it harkens back to a day when people were, would write these kind of newsletters. You just don't see, see them that much anymore. It's, it's like hearing from an old friend mm -hmm. talking about ASL, a conversational, relaxed way. So in this issue, it always starts off with a little, little overview of the yummy scenarios that are included. And there's usually four scenarios included. This one is no exception, four scenarios. And a little greeting. I don't want to read too much because it says you can't reproduce any of this mm. without written uh, permission from Vic. And we didn't get any written permission, but we're talking about it anyway. So everybody should, uh, I think everybody should subscribe to this. It's only $20 a year for the first year. And then if you resubscribe, it's only $18, which is a good deal. And if you want to order the works, I'm doing air quotes here, the works, that's a subscription. It's a four issue subscription plus all of the back issues, all 54 back issues for $75, which is a great deal. Or you can order individual back issues for $3 each. But why do that? Just order them all. It'll give you plenty. And uh, so that usually, as usual, he starts off with a little letter and he talks about what's going on with him lately a little bit in regards to ASL. And at least in the last few issues, he's been talking quite a bit, um, a lot of mentions about the pandemic and really the impact that it's still having and his ability to play face to face. But things are getting getting back together. Um, and they're they're getting they're starting to meet more often. He mentions in this one, and I don't think either one of us knew this, but he mentioned in this one that he just learned of the passing of Gary Trezza, which we um, that was earlier this year. And I think, Dave, this is one thing hmm. that we miss out from uh, not being on social media very much. I mean, I know you're on Twitter, but didn't come through Twitter, but not being on Facebook. I didn't know. Yeah, our game game squad. We don't check in there a lot or anything like that. Uh, Sad. Yeah, sad. So, and uh, Pat Flory, another, I don't know Pat, but uh, he mentions that in his opening. Sorry to see them no longer with us. And then there's a little, uh, usually a little article about what's going on with uh, local ASL stuff that he's been up to just around that area. And he is in Connecticut. Uh, where is he? Yeah, New York area, though. Coast uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, oh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. He's in Massachusetts. Oh. And there's a little announcement about the Nor'easter. What happened at the Nor'easter earlier this year with who won and all the big money they took home. Who won? Does it say? Uh, first place was uh, Brian uh, Wiersma. Second place, Chuck Hammond. Third place, Hammond. Fourth place, Richard Vieira. We just interviewed Chuck Hammond with Hasmo. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, and then a another page just talking about what's coming up, which there's a tournament coming up here, Dave. Hard to believe. The 20th annual New York State ASL Championship mm. is coming up December 1st through December 4th, which is, wow, just around the corner The uh, in Albany. So... Great Albany tournament. They've been doing that for a long time. That's one that Gary Trezza was involved in for a very long time. Mm -hmm. It's going to be missed. So it'll, it'll be missed this year, yeah. 
One thing to note about uh, Tussle in the Tundra coming up, or uh, sorry, as far as uh, next year's tournament is um, they're going to make a little change to the way that things are, the rounds are scored and the, uh, with the idea of having everybody stick around for all five rounds. So they're going to have something so that you don't necessarily have to be undefeated, you know, to become a champion because you want more people to play so that people that, that feel like, oh, there's no way they could win, you know, just go home or go to the bar or whatever they do. So that should be uh, interesting to see. They're going to make some more announcement about that in the near future. Excellent. And they just point out that they hope that the next year's tournament hopefully won't uh, conflict with the Spreading Blaze event in Atlanta. That's one I don't know about, Dave. Have we heard about that one? No, I have not. Yeah. No. We'll have to look for those guys and uh, see what we can find out. There's also an announcement here about the uh, the Nor'easter 20 scenario pack, which you can learn about if you go to, uh, this is a scenario pack put together by Carl Noguera. I think he's he puts it together, who we have interviewed, Carl, we've interviewed before. And this is a scenario pack, pack comes in uh, PDF. You get the pack for $15. And we'll put a link in the show notes so you can look at that. Or... Okay. Or wisely, you could buy dispatches from the bunker and find it yourself. Find it your own self. That'd be a good idea. This is really, I one thing I like about reading uh, dispatches from the bunker is it's just got a nice, cozy, friendly, old-fashioned newsletter look to it. So it's really, it's very fun to read, even though it's electronic. You'll want to print these out and read them. Yeah, in fact, and, Jeff, we did review the Nor'easter Pack 2 that as a physical copy uh, in show episode 269. Oh, okay. Then also what comes with every single uh, issue of dispatches from the bunker is our, our four scenarios. Here's a scenario designed by Vic Provost himself called Recon from the Coda Tra Recon on the Code Kokoda Trail. Now it says on this, it says it's from a series one. So I, I'm guessing he's going to do a series about this particular action in the Pacific theater? Yeah, I don't know. could be. Specifically on the Kokoda, Papua, Papua New Guinea area in early 1942. And as you can imagine, this is going to be uh, Japanese. In this case, it's against the British um, using board 52. So if everybody's got 52, you can play this. And the scenario itself, I mean, I don't have the board out, so I can't really look at it. The the um, counter mix is, is relatively unremarkable, but what's interesting is a couple of the special rules, the SSRs, for instance, and I always, I, I've actually really gotten to like these special rules because they bring out something different in a scenario than you otherwise, otherwise might find. Yeah. In this case, no unit may use double time movement until after any personnel unit of either side has line of sight to a known enemy unit. You have to see someone to have an ex a reason to start running around. That's right. And I kind of like that. Another rule is, uh, coincidentally enough, about prisoners. Prisoner, it's in prisoner interrogation and civilian interrogation. When are we going to go over those things, Dave? Uh, I don't know. Hmm? <laughs> They're in Chapter E. Chapter E, yeah. And this says prisoner interrogation and civilian interrogation 
are in effect. So the, well, I said British units, but these are actually the uh, Australians and New Zealanders. Anzac. Yeah. Uh, are in effect. Anzacs are in friendly country. Japanese are in hostile country. Another scenario here, not digging potatoes, which is designed by Jeffrey Myers. This is number series, uh, Market Garden series number two. So obviously uh, there's a series going on from that action. The um, Germans against the Americans. Yes, H Company, yes. Yes, 82nd Airborne Division. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting special rules here, prisoner interrogation is in effect again, with American being considered to be in friendly country. Neither side may invoke no quarter. So when you play these, you can go back and replay this episode and the previous couple where Dave and I discussed prisoners and you, it's everything you need to know. <laughs> Another scenario called the, the Last Day, which is from a Red Barricade series. This is number six in the series by Steve Swan. Oh, Hello, Steve. This one uses the Red Barricades board. So if you don't have that, don't get out. Yeah, or order it or find a friend who's got it and sneak off with it. Uh, a good mix here of uh, quite a few counters on this one, but a lot of these scenarios are pretty short. Most of them are you know, four and a half, five turns. Oh, yeah, okay. Something like that, which makes them very palatable. And they play through these um, pretty carefully before they distribute them. And I've heard good things about them. Mm -hmm. so I didn't write down anything special or notice anything special about the special rules on this one. So you'll have to uh, try it out and see how you like it. And then the final one is from the Norwegian series. This is number four by, boy, here's a scenario designer name. I'm guessing he's uh, Swedish or Norwegian. I'm going to take a stab at it. It's like. <laughs> sure. That never stops us before. It has never, never. stopped us. Jovan Jacobson Bjorkels. So That's I'm good. Hoping, I'm hoping I'm in the ballpark with that. This takes place in Norway in 1940. Germans against the British. And um, there is a bridge to take here. Let's see the victory, the win at game end if they have amassed victory points and the control the bridge. So this is this will be a fun, fun one for people that like bridges. And an interesting, <laughs> yeah, I just like bridges. Love them. Some of the special scenarios in this, yeah, the demolition charges in the British OB. It's a set demolition charge and must be set up using HIP in one of the bridge locations. Okay. A 228 crew is the only unit that may detonate the DC, and it must set up using HIP if in concealment terrain. And then another thing here, um, if the bridge has been destroyed, this sounds cool, good order German infantry may exit on or adjacent to hex 39 K10, and contrary to A2.6, they may re-enter the map oh. on the next turn on hex 7W1. Oh, I'll so the, that. yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to look at the board. Maybe they're trying to get around to another area. Yeah, so that sounds very cool. And then, so that's the four scenarios which you get. And then there's quite a lengthy article. Uh, this is an 18 page magazine. It's usually about that every month. Quite a long article on the forgotten war module it's a uh, kind of a overview and tips and stuff from Carl Noguera who lo who's looking at 
the Korean War module and kind of summarizing. Now, I didn't look at this part in any depth, Dave, because I've never oh. read the Korean War rules. So I don't know if you have. Yes, we're doing them a lot with uh, Dave and I. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, if you haven't looked at this, now's a good chance for you to do so. But it gives you some summaries of some of the differences in the Korean War module compared to uh, the World War II stuff. That's it. On the back page, there's just kind of a summary on some thoughts about the four scenarios that are included. And there's an ad for, for uh, Battle School Dice. There's some encouragement to sign up and to regularly post your winnings and losings on the ASL Roar. Oh, yeah, I still should. Every, every game you play, Dave, counts. It's important. Yeah, I should start that. Yeah. So, uh, and that's it. That's 18 pages of ASL fun. Excellent. Bunker, get it. Well, uh, I can look at 53 next time. Okay. I guess we'll see y'all next time. We'll be here. I hope you'll be here. Mm -hmm. And remember to roll low and rally well. But not when you're playing us. Take, Take care. care. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.